0: Snuff production. Hey, Tom Tilly, with you. In this episode of The Briefing, we interview the politician trying to get his state to ban gay conversion
1: therapy. The charge could be up to 10 years in prison or a financial penalty if it's an organisation. That will be in a very limited set of circumstances. That will be when someone has really been harmed or traumatised. Um, potentially, if someone has been sent overseas potential penalty there is uh, is two years. So that's Alex
0: Greenwich. He's an independent MP in Sydney and he's putting forward a bill that will include a ban on gay conversion and suppression. And part of what's really challenging and interesting about a law like this is where you draw the line so the people who believe
1: being gay is a sin are still allowed to practice their religion. Prayer or preaching is not considered to be a conversion practice. What is, is a sustained effort to try to convert or suppress someone's sexuality.
0: I don't think anyone wants a society where we've got police regularly sitting in churches monitoring sermons. So the question is how we get the balance right. That's all part of our briefing, a very interesting conversation. First, here are the big headlines of the day with Katrina Blouse. It's Tuesday, February 28th.
2: The AFL and AFLW are facing a multi-million dollar class action over concussion. A Melbourne law firm is taking the case to the Supreme Court on behalf of at least 30 players. This is over concerns many will develop what's called chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE.
0: It's astounding
1: how many people have suffered life-altering concussion-related injuries and we have an intention to lodge a class action in relation to uh, their loss of earnings and their pain and
2: suffering. Michelle Margolit there from Margolit Injury Lawyers, she's speaking on the ABC. So she believes former players with CTE could be awarded more than $2 million each. This would be huge, Tom.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people have been expecting this for quite some time. If you look overseas, um, the NFL in America had to pay out a billion dollars. Um, that was around 600000 per player who'd had uh, dementia as a result of mm. head knocks playing the game. So it's coming here in Australia. Um, the AFL has said, look, we've changed the game. We take it extremely seriously We've changed concussion protocols, tribunal guidelines and on-field rules, but the damage is already done for a lot of players.
2: Yeah, I know that with the NRL, a class action has been talked about for ages there too after English rugby union professionals brought one. Uh, I guess in, in AFL's case, it surprised me to learn that players are excluded from seeking work cover in Victoria. So that stops them from making claims for medical and other expenses. Highly paid AFL executives though, do have access to these entitlements. So a real disparity there.
0: There's renewed speculation over the COVID lab leak theory after the U.S. Department of Energy put out newly updated intelligence saying their most likely theory is now that COVID-19 accidentally escaped the lab in Wuhan. They do say that they have low confidence in this claim, meaning it's far from conclusive and more analysis is needed. And then if you look back at the other agencies in the intelligence community in America, they're somewhat divided. The New York Times is reporting that the FBI has concluded with moderate confidence the, uh, accidental lab leak theory, but four other agencies in the intelligence community have concluded with low confidence that it emerged through natural transmission.
2: I guess, will we ever know? Uh, mm. th- this lab theory is growing over time, but uh, we need cooperation from Chinese authorities to ever know for sure, and, mm. and that investigation seems unlikely, at least yeah. in the short term. If you're struggling with inflation and rising interest rates, you might not be too happy to hear the latest figures on corporate profits. The ABS has released these figures showing gross profits are at 16%. So that's about double the inflation rate and substantially higher than the wage price index. So wages are far below inflation and corporate profits are far above inflation. This all flies in the face of the RBA's argument for jacking up rates that it's about stopping the wage price spiral. That's price expectations leading to wage increases, which further drive inflation. This can make people really mad, Tom. It makes me feel quite frustrated when I see the big banks raking in big profits while my mortgage payments are going up and up and up and up.
0: Yeah, well, economists at the Australian Institute say that these latest figures show that it's corporate profiteering that's driving inflation. Not us spending too much money. And um, Sally McManus from the Australian Council of Trade Unions is saying it's a corporate greed price spiral, not a wage price spiral. So this data is fueling a lot of anger, yeah. And Splendour in the Grass has apologised for last year's festival. It was dubbed by many as Splendour in the Mud. The rain was just absolutely hectic and the first day had to be cancelled. And there were lots of complaints about wait times for transport as well. So the two founders of the festival, Jessica DeCrew and Paul Patiko, have put out a statement saying, we can't control the weather, we can manage how we respond, and for that we are deeply sorry. They've outlined um, improvements for this year's festival, better waterproofing, draining um, terrain and pathways, as well as being better prepared for extreme weather events. And they're focused on improving compliance with bus companies and better communication because transport was a a real nightmare as well as the weather.
2: Yeah, I I do know quite a few people who went. They made the best of it. They actually Hmm. said it was kind of fun in the end and they were having mudslides and, you know, I I think it's what you make of it. I know that it wasn't that pleasant for other people, particularly having to wait for buses. That probably could have been handled better. But with extreme weather events, sometimes you don't know what you don't know until it happens.
0: Well, last year was a triple in It was an absolute yep. shamble. So you're unlikely to get that again. I, I think what happened last year did make it easier not to be there. Watching it from, you know, at home. <laughs> you know, the FOMO was uh, no um, FOMO. <laughs> pretty low last year.
2: Yeah yeah, yeah. I, I know I was trying to search around to see what date it was happening again this year. They have confirmed it will be back. um you can buy tickets some uh, on some sites, um, but yeah, hard to see what date they've pegged it for. Perhaps they're looking for a very reliable long-term weather forecast before they lock it in.
0: Wow, they haven't they seriously haven't announced the dates yet?
2: No, I can't find it anywhere, so let me know if you guys can.
0: All right, in just a moment. Uh, I'll be interviewing Alex Greenwich. Alex Greenwich is the Independent Member of Parliament for the seat of Sydney, and he's the politician who's drafting the bill to outlaw gay conversion and suppression therapy in New South Wales, which will bring it close to what already exists in Victoria. So far, Alex Greenwich has the Liberals and Labor on board in principle... But there will be tension points around the protections for churches to preach and pray as they wish, according to their beliefs. Alex Greenwich, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. So in the dark old days, people were doing lobotomies, which is basically brain surgery, electroshock therapy, all these horrific things to try and change people's sexuality. Is that kind of stuff still happening? What are you trying to outlaw that is
1: still happening? The lobotomy and the electroshock uh, therapy, that doesn't happen anymore. That was a really, really dark time, but it did occur in Australia. Mm. Um, Even Bob Brown, leader of the Greens, uh, former leader of the Greens, Mm. went through that. Now, the uh, suppression or conversion practices are broader than that. They can involve forms of counselling, sustained counselling, encouraging someone to suppress their sexuality, to be celibate, to really change who they are, to feel bad Mm -hmm. about their own sexual identity and seek to change it. They can involve church groups, putting pressure on individuals in a sustained way, people being sort of told that they won't be able to be part of their family unless they get fixed in inverted commas. I've had examples of kids in high school being told by their private Christian school that unless they go to the chaplain to to address their sexuality, they'll get kicked out of the school, so threats of that, Mm. um, through to, you know, I have heard recent examples of people being put through corrective rape as well. So we go from the, you know, the more subtle forms of making someone feel bad about their sexuality and putting them through um, practices to suppress or convert that through to some really violent stuff as well. There's also a growing concern of... The conversion camps are happening overseas and parents sending their kids offshore to go through conversion practices in in a really intense and intrusive way. And as you would have found from Kim, you know that these have long-term traumatic impacts Mm -hmm. on individuals. So are they still called conversion camps? These camps are still happening and are they happening here in Australia as well as overseas? The conversion camps as they, you know, I think Living Waters was one back in the day. They're not happening so much here. In New South Wales and across Australia, it is a bit more underground. It's a bit more one-on-one, all within a church group, um, focusing pressure on an individual. There's a whole spectrum here. At one end, you've
0: got a preacher, interpreting the bible as saying being gay is a sin which means you'll go to hell right through to an organized camp or or even
1: more coercive practices at which point do you want the law to cut in my proposed legislation which is based on the victorian model which was very much a survivor-led model is pretty inclusive. And so what it really focuses on is a civil response. So the focus of the legislation is more on education and mediation. So it would allow the president of the Anti-Discrimination Board to basically educate the community on what's cool and what's not cool through to mediation between parties. So for example, a school is putting pressure on an individual to go to counselling or they're going to get kicked out. In that situation, The president of the anti-discrimination board could establish mediation between the student's family, the student and the school to resolve it without the need for the law to step in. Through to practices where a great deal of harm or injury is being caused to an individual uh, through a sustained effort to convert or suppress their sexuality. And that's where the president of the anti-discrimination board could make a referral to the Healthcare Complaints Commission, should it be a medical practitioner, or indeed through to the police to do an investigation and then potentially criminal charges that could be put on a person who is trying to inflict conversion practices on an individual. What yep. would the charge be if it got to that point where the police were involved? The, the charge could be up to 10 years in prison or a financial penalty if it's an organisation that will be in a very limited set of circumstances. That will be when someone has really been harmed or traumatised. Um, potentially, if someone has been sent overseas, the potential penalty there is uh, is two years. That's not what this legislation is for. This legislation is focused on the education and mediation and making it clear that this is an illegal practice in New South Wales. But also making it clear that there is nothing wrong with you in New South Wales if you are LGBTQ.
2: Mm.
0: The biggest challenge here is balancing out stopping the harm and freedom to practice your religion. Lots of Christians believe that being gay is a sin. Is that something you want to stop? Do you want to stop preachers from saying
1: that from the platform? I would say more Christians don't believe being gay is a sin than do. It might, like, I've been involved in some um, pretty intense law reform debates from marriage equality, abortion decriminalisation and voluntary assisted dying. Mm. In all of those cases, uh, polling has shown a majority of people of faith, a majority of Christians actually support those reforms. Now, I deal with a group of colleagues who are really concerned about protecting religious freedoms Mm. and I get it and I understand it. So we've got to get the balance right. And what that balance is, is making it clear that a statement of faith or a statement of religious ideology uh, is not considered to be a conversion practice or a suppression practice. So, you know, prayer or preaching is not considered to be a conversion practice. What is, is a sustained effort to try to convert or suppress someone's sexuality.
0: Okay, so prayer or preaching is not conversion therapy, but what about prayer or praying the gay away, which is a common practice?
1: Yeah, well, I I mean, I don't think anyone of Christian faith would want something as spiritual and intimate as prayer to be misused to torture someone. So obviously, uh, we've got to get the balance right there that, to make sure that people aren't using prayer as a guise of some form of counselling or, co- or conversion practice, and that is something that the legislation will deal with. So praying the gay away, is that illegal, encouraging someone to do that? If it is a sustained practice to humiliate, intimidate, threaten, or, or an otherwise uh, seek to suppress or convert someone's sexuality, then yes, that would be considered to be a conversion practice and that would not be allowed under the legislation. But you know in these
0: churches it's not framed as intimidation or or harm. The the message is, this is love. This is us loving you. This is God loving you. That's why we're praying for you
1: to pray away this sinful practice. So how are you going to draw the line? Well, that is why it is so critical to the legislation that education and mediation are a part of it. To make it clear what is appropriate and what's not appropriate, if it is a church that has a statement of faith or an ideology, which they are continuing on in a very general way, which is you know that they believe homosexuality to be a sin, that's one thing and that's protected. If it is a targeted practice directed at an individual or group of individuals to change mm. their sexuality, to humiliate, intimidate, threaten, then that would be considered a conversion practice. And yes, I get that there could be some gray area here, mm. and that's why we're not dealing with sort of a hard edge law and order approach to this. We're focusing on a civil response, which the principal focus is mediation and education. But at the extreme end, there are criminal penalties.
0: Is that in a sense used as a way of sending a message to people who are in that grey area that if it goes way too far, then there could be severe penalties and that changing behavior before you even get to the point of having to enact those criminal penalties. Absolutely.
1: And we know why the criminal penalties are there. So if you talk to survivors of conversion practices, this is a form of torture, which leads to ongoing mental health and and health issues for them throughout Mm. their life. The rate of suicide and self-harm amongst people who've been put through conversion practices is extremely high. So we outlaw torture, In New South Wales and Australia, uh, this is a form of torture and it's important that there are criminal penalties for when this form of torture really creates harm or injury to a person. So it's been brought in in several other states.
0: What have you noticed about the way they've done it and the way they've sort of tried to
1: balance out these competing interests? So the Queensland model is a quite out of date model. And it really is based on those examples you gave at the beginning of the interview of sort of those medical interventions. So that really needs to be broadened. The Victorian model is more inclusive of a range of particular practices. But my proposed model in New South Wales provides some greater protections around uh, making it clear that a statement of faith or a religious ideology is not considered to be a conversion Mm. practice. And in terms of enforcement, are we going to devote
0: police energy to monitoring these organisations or will it all be on the individual
1: to come forward and and report, self-report? The bill empowers the Anti-Discrimination Board with powers to do education, to do investigations and to do a range of referrals. So referring to the Healthcare Complaints Commission to do an investigation or look into a a sustained practice to uh, can make orders through NCAT So, compliance orders to say to a school, you can no longer do this, through to getting the police to do an investigation. The referral has to come from the anti discrimination board, and a complaint has to come from an individual to the anti discrimination board. First? First. Right. So, it won't be a preemptive monitoring, it will only be reactive to complaints. That's right. Obviously, if the police, for example, in investigating a a referral from the Anti-Discrimination Board are identifying a wider practice occurring. They will be able to take action and get advice from the Anti-Discrimination Board on that.
0: Okay. And how are you going winning over hearts and minds in New South Wales? I see that the New South Wales Premier has said, yes, we support it, but it's really important to us that we protect preaching and praying, that we're not going to outlaw preaching and praying. Sounds like that's a balance you've been working
1: on already. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've I've engaged with the Premier on this directly. Um, He understands the importance of this legislation and I understand that he wants to get the balance right and I respect that. The New South Wales opposition has said that they also back this, so we're in a good place. We've got support of both major parties going into the election saying that in New South Wales, if you're LGBTQ, you're not broken, you don't need to be fixed, and if someone tries to do that, we're going to outlaw it. So we're in a good place. Obviously there will be a debate around the legislative detail and, and I'm you know, keen to do that with my colleagues.
0: That's Alex Greenwich, independent member for Sydney, which happens to be the seat that's hosting the big international gay pride event at the moment. And it will be really interesting to see how his legislation goes after the New South Wales election, whether or not the protections he's created for the freedom to practice your religion, even if it's anti-gay, will be enough to get the major parties voting for his bill. Tomorrow on The Briefing, you might have heard of this woman, Kathleen Folbig. She's served 20 years for the murder and manslaughter of four of her own children. But a new inquiry shows she might be innocent. We'll speak to her best friend on tomorrow's episode of The Briefing.
2: Listener.